what you're going to see today in the life of Daniel is it's really not that complicated to be a follower of Christ. There are some basic things we can do. They don't earn our salvation. Our salvation was purchased at the cross. Say amen, right? But in following Christ, these are the things that we do to grow our faith. So we're in Daniel chapter 6. Um, and just to, we left off in chapter 3 last time. I'm going to quickly sum up chapter 4 and 5. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar uh, becomes an animal. God humbles him in his pride for about seven years. He literally is eating grass like beasts. He's losing his mind. God restores him at the end of seven years. And I'm almost sure Nebuchadnezzar gets saved at the end of chapter 4. I think, I'll, I think we'll be in heaven. You can disagree with me. But it's just a great story. Well... In chapter 5, his grandson, Belshazzar, is uh, now the king, and he's throwing a drunken party and using uh, uh, utensils from the temple. And this hand comes out by itself with no arm or anything attached to it and starts writing on the wall. Uh, and that marks the end of his kingdom. That's where we get the phrase, you can see the handwriting on the wall, right? Um, and he, he can't interpret it. None of his wise men can interpret it. So they get Daniel, old Daniel, to come in and interpret it. And uh, Daniel interprets it. And that night the kingdom is turned over to the Medes and the Persians. Uh, this, these are true events from history. So when we come to Daniel chapter 6, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, there's two things that I want you to remember as we give a background for this, this chapter. Number one, there's a new kingdom. So it's not Babylon anymore, it's the Medes and Persians. We'll talk about that. Number two, Daniel is not young. He's an old man. He's older than Jim Hensley. Where did Jerry go? Did Jerry, Jerry stepped out. That's okay. I was going to make fun of Jerry. Jerry, Jerry's about 88 years old. So, so that's, that's what you want to thank Daniel. Daniel's probably pushing 90 when we look at Daniel in the lion's den. So if you have, you know, your flannel graph with a young Daniel, you're going to have to change that. Um, so here we go. Uh, we're going to look at uh, this story quickly, read chapter 6. And, uh, and talk through just some simple things of what faith looks like. And somehow I missed the book of Daniel. Uh, so let's go ahead and look. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Darius the Mede is now the king, uh, a new kingdom. And here's what the scripture says. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom so that they would be in charge of the entire kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, uh, of whom Daniel was one, and that these satraps might be accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. So picture this. He's got a huge kingdom, worldwide kingdom. He's got 120 governors, satraps, whatever these guys are, running things. But he's losing money. Maybe some of them are ripping off the king. So he puts in charge of them three commissioners that are overseeing the leaders who are overseeing the kingdom. And one of those three was Daniel. Now, look at verse... Uh, Verse 3, then Daniel began distinguishing himself from among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. <clears throat> and uh, so the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So the, the king, you know, for whatever reason, Daniel, even though he's almost 90 years old, um, he could just tell, I can trust this guy. He's honest, he's integrity, and he's like, I'm going to put him in charge of everybody. He's going to be the number one guy in my kingdom uh, because I think he can clean up the corruption that's going on. Verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps, these are the other 122, 
began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as Daniel was faithful, no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So picture this, you got 122 guys conspiring to dig into Daniel's life. I mean, they're, they're bugging his room. They're putting a phone tap on him. They're combing through his emails and checking his social media account because they had those back then. Um, and they could find nothing. I mean, the highest government officials in the largest kingdom of the earth investigated every dark corner of Daniel's life, and they couldn't find a single evidence of corruption or any evidence of negligence, something he did or something he didn't do. So they said, verse 5, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. You know what they found? This guy worships God. When we look at his life over and over again, there's one thing that's consistent. He's a follower of this God. And so then, verse 6, the, the commissioners and satraps came by agreement to this new king, King Darius. Oh, king, live forever. That's what you say to the king. And they said, king, all the commissioners, all the satraps, all the government officials and prefects, you know, we've all consulted together. That's a lie. That we want to make you God for a month. For the next 30 days, everyone has to pray to you. And if anybody prays to anyone who is not you, that person should be thrown into the lion's den. And then they convince him even more. Uh, King, now we want you to establish this injunction and sign it with a document that may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Now, in this chapter, three times we're told that in the Medes and Persians government, that once a law was made, you couldn't change your mind. Now, that seems funny because the previous empire, Babylon, I mean, man, if Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change his mind, he would just change his mind. He was a supreme monarch. But in the Medes and Persians culture, they believed that a monarch was infallible. He could not make a mistake. So if you made a law and then you changed your mind, that would prove that you made a mistake. So they just had a rule. If you did a law of the Medes and Persians, it's, it's done. You can't change your mind. You guys familiar with the book of Esther? Esther takes place later in the Persian Empire. And you might remember that the king there, Artaxerxes, I believe his name was, made an injunction that all the Jews would be killed. And then he changed his mind, but he couldn't take that back. So the workaround was he made another law that the Jews could fight back and everyone could help them. Do you remember that? That's how it worked. Because obviously he couldn't make a mistake, so he just made another law instead of revoking the first law. That's what's going on here. So they tricked the king into signing this injunction. The trap is set. The king did not want to sign this. He's going to regret signing it. But look what happens with Daniel. Verse 10. This is a key verse. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he knew exactly what was going on. He entered his house. Now his roof chamber, he had his windows open towards Jerusalem. And so he's going to pray towards Jerusalem. You say, well, what's that about? Well, in the book of Kings, when um, Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, the temple that was in Jerusalem, uh, there's a prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 where Solomon says, God, 
if you ever get angry with your people and we sin against you and you take your people captive to another nation and those people turn and pray towards this place, please hear their prayer and forgive them and bring them back to the land. And so Daniel is fulfilling that. He's in captivity in another place. It's been 70 years. And he's doing what the Word of God said, praying towards Jerusalem. So here's what it says. He opens up his roof chamber, his windows towards Jerusalem. And what does Daniel do now that the conjunction command? He prays. He continued kneeling on his knees. By the way, that's not a bad idea. As we get older, it's a little harder to get up after you get down. I would say this about prayer, that it's important that you kneel in here. But it doesn't hurt to kneel outside too. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had previously been doing. This was a habit of his life. And obviously that's why they had this injunction signed because they knew three times a day we're going to catch him praying to his God. So what ends up happening is the next few verses, these guys approach the king and say, Oh, king, remember you signed that injunction? Yeah, Daniel. Your Daniel, the guy you like that's one of the commissioners? Yeah, he's ignoring you. He's praying to some other god. He needs to be thrown into a lion's den. And verse 14 says that as soon as the king heard this statement, he was so upset and distressed, I think at himself, for, for falling for this trap. And he intended the rest of the day to try to deliver Daniel. He wanted to find a way to set him free. Uh, by the way, it says that day because in the, the Persian culture, uh, when um, an offender broke the law, he would be executed the same day. So he had until sundown to try to fix this. And he's working to try to rescue Daniel. And then they say to him, verse 15... Remember, O king, this is the law of the Medes and Persians, and you can't change your mind. And he's trapped. And what's he going to do? The one guy that he wanted to clean up his kingdom, the one guy he trusted, he's now been tricked into throwing him into the lion's den. And so verse 16 says, the king gave orders. And Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel... Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's real easy for you to say that, king, because you're not the one going into the lion's den. Anyway, I don't know if that, why, I'm not exactly sure I've thought about this verse. What is he saying? I don't know if he's saying, Daniel, I've done everything I can. Now it's up to your God. Or maybe he was saying kind of what we sometimes say, in that pious way, oh, God will take care of you when we don't really believe it. You know what I mean? I don't know that the king really believed that Daniel was going to be rescued. But he's like, Daniel, all you got right now is your God. And so the stone's brought in and it seals it. And, and he's, you know, Daniel's in the lion's den. By the way, uh, I want to remind you that this is not just Daniel and a couple of lions. Um, later on in the chapter... Dozens of people are going to be thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible tells us that their bones were crushed before they hit the ground. Okay? This is more than two or three lions. Are you with me? They kept them hungry. All of those things. Um, but they're not going to eat Daniel. But do you know why the lions de did not eat Daniel? They knew you just can't keep a good man down. 
That was for Stan. Okay, there you go. So the king goes off to his palace and spends the entire night fasting. He's not eating any food. No entertainment is brought before him. He's not watching Netflix. He's not playing Xbox. He's not eating any food. And he's not sleeping. He's so distressed. He's just up all night. Meanwhile, if I could paint a picture, Daniel gets in the lion's den, and with about, within about, I don't know, 10 seconds, he realizes they're not going to eat me. And so he gives thanks to God, goes up against the wall, sits down. A couple of cubs come up and snuggle up to him for warmth. Mama lion comes over and licks his hand. You know, and they all settle down and sleep and have a nice, peaceful evening. Meanwhile, back at the palace, the king's, you know, not eating. By the way, it's interesting that the two that missed supper that night were the lions and the king. But anyway, um, and he's distressed. And he wakes up in the morning, verse 19. And the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came near the den to Daniel, he said, with a trembled voice, the king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, notice the testimony he has, has your God whom you constantly serve, he said that in verse 16, Daniel, you're the guy who's constantly serving your God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel spoke and said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. So the king was very pleased, and he gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury was found upon him because he had trusted in his God, his faith. And I don't know so much the faith that went in, but the faith that said, I'm going to pray even if there's a law against praying. I'm going to trust God and, and pray. I'm not going to change my life just because they make a law. And then the king gave orders, and they brought in the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den, and they'd not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Let me just say something here that it's hard for us in our culture to understand a punishment like this. I don't like reading this verse where children and wives are, are killed. Uh, by the way, because the Bible records it doesn't mean that the Bible approves of it. This is just what happened. And I will say this. There is an application for us today. If you are a parent, if you are a husband, if you are a wife, don't believe the lie that your sin isn't hurting anybody else. We all, oh, well, I'm not hurting anybody but me. That is not true. There are people who love you who are being affected by your decisions. And so we always have to remember that. By the way, the lions finally got their reward. Instead of eating one old, tough Jew, they got a bunch of spineless Persians for breakfast. So I'm done. That's, that's it. Okay. Then Darius, the king, now, 
writes to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language living in all the land, may your peace abound. Once again, we're going to see a king of the entire then known world proclaim the glory of the living God. He says, I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's den. And so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. So once again, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel trusts in his God. God delivers him through the fire. God is glorified and Daniel is Elevated. Now, let's get back to just plain old you and me because, again, I think we can look at these stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and it looks like their faith is unattainable. It's just, it's way up there. I can't do that. And I want to show you today that that's not true. That their faith, they were regular people like you and I, and their faith was built on some simple things, some routines that they did in their lives daily or close to daily, that over time began to build up that faith. And it's the same things that you and I are called to. I want to just point out quickly before I'm done, I got like 10 minutes and I'm done. Three simple things that we see in Daniel's life that were a routine of his life that just need to be the routine of ours. And over time, this is how we live the Christian life. It's very simple. You can take notes. Number one, Daniel talked to God. Daniel prayed. Uh, it is one of the simple things we see. It's very clear that this was a routine of his life. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed and he talked to God. Um, I don't know if it was in the morning when he woke up and when he went to bed at night and then once at lunchtime. I don't know. But it was clearly a routine, a regular thing that Daniel would talk to God. And it is a daily thing. Jesus taught us to pray and he said, give us this month our monthly bread. Is that what he said? No, give us this week our weekly bread. Is that what he said? Give us this. There we go. Our daily bread. It's a daily process of talking to God. And I want to challenge you, by the way, to look at your own life and be real because nobody knows if you're talking to God but you. Your spouse doesn't know. Your mom doesn't know. Your kids don't know. Okay. This is between you and God. I'm not talking about praying in a prayer meeting. I'm not talking about praying with your family. I'm just saying you alone in a closet or in your bedroom, or in the bathroom, or in your car, or wherever you are, just you and God alone, and you talking to God. And for a lot of Christians, we don't talk to God. And we make a lot of excuses. I can make an excuse. I'm so busy. God, I'm so busy. I'm a pastor. I'm serving you. <laughs> That's kind of stupid. I'm doing the Lord's work. And I'm too busy to talk to God. By the way, Daniel ran an entire kingdom. My too busy excuse goes out the door, amen? Because Daniel found time three times a day to get on his knees, go to his house, pray towards Jerusalem. We all make time for the things that are important to us. So I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, why don't I talk to God? Why am I not talking to God? And I'm not talking about just in your mind or lifting up kind of a heart prayer. I'm talking about getting alone and opening your mouth. Everybody here, I know this. I've talked to you, almost all of you. You all know how to talk. You do. Most of you do. 
Some of you are like, I have social anxiety, I'd rather text you. Then text God, that's fine. You say, what's his number? Text your own number, it'll come back to you, then you can read your prayer, okay? Whatever. My point is communicate. Listen, prayer, talking to God is like the heartbeat of your relationship. It's how faith is built up. The people I know who have lots of faith have lots of prayer in their life. The people I know who don't pray don't have as much faith. It is everything, guys. And, and when we just take time every day to, do, to talk to God, that's one of the actions of a disciple. You say, what do you say? I don't know how to talk to him. It's awkward at first when you don't know who you're talking to. But think about who you're talking to and develop the habit and press through that awkward time so that it becomes natural for you. You say, I'm worried I'm going to do it wrong. You're already doing it wrong because you're not talking to him. That's wrong. Right is talking to him. Just talk to him. He's your father. He's listening to you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And it's an act of faith to do this. And we have to do it, guys. I think one of the reasons our spiritual maturity is, is low, that if I was to take an honest uh, inventory, a lot of us just struggle at this very simple point of just having a conversation with God. Talk to him. Tell him, be thankful for something. Say, God, thank you. I'm not thankful for very much. Are you thankful for Jesus? Start with that. Start with him. Start with the things you are thankful for. Start by giving your life to him, surrendering. God, I need your help today, asking him for help, confessing your sins. You say, I don't know that I have any. Then guess. You'll probably guess right. Pray for other people. Pray for people you love. Share with God your heart. Take five minutes to get alone with God and talk to him out loud and make that a habit of your life. Every single person in this room can do it. So we have to honestly ask the question, why am I struggling in my faith? Maybe this is part of it. And what's preventing me from praying? What's preventing me from honestly talking to God every day? This was one of the routines. The second thing he did is he read God's word. I can prove to you that Daniel read God's word. He studied God's word. He knew God's word. Even though he was in captivity, he in chapter 1, wouldn't do what the law said in Leviticus, eat the defiled food. Right here in this chapter, he prayed towards Jerusalem, which was in the book of Kings, the history portion. And later on, when we get to Jeremiah uh, or Daniel 9, this is my own, the NAJT, that's the New American Gym translation. Um, basically, when Darius becomes king, Daniel says, I was reading the word of the prophet Jeremiah, and I realized he said we were going to be in captivity for 70 years, and it's already 70 years, so I began to pray. Daniel read the law, the history, and the prophets. He knew the word of God, and he read the word of God. Okay? Guys, this is God's word. This, now I know, this book it can be intimidating. It's a big book, right? There's like 31,000 verses in it, and if you try reading it 15 minutes a day, it'll take you a year. You don't have to learn it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to open it up and say, God, speak to me. Read for five minutes. Do you realize that if you started reading five years ago, 15 minutes a day, you'd have been through this book five times by now? It's a daily routine. Give us this day our daily bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what we need. And this is the heartbeat of our relationship, our faith. By the way, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by the word of God. 
If you're weak in faith, it's probably because the two basic things, which is prayer and the word, are not a regular part of your life. A relationship happens when you communicate with somebody. I know that's a revelation for some of you, but you actually have to talk to someone to have a relationship with them. You have to communicate, okay? Prayer, I'm talking to God. Word, he's talking to me. Pray, I talk to God. Word, he's talking to me. Are you with me? This is the rhythm of our life. And for a lot of us, we've been Christians a long time, but we've stopped that daily time in the Word. We've stopped that daily time talking to God, and we wonder why we're struggling in our faith. Now, don't just stop with reading it. Number three, Daniel put it to action. He obeyed the Word. He tried to do. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't without sin. But he opened up God's Word, and he read it, and he found something in there about loving your enemies, and he said, okay, God, help me to do this. Uh, here I am with Nebuchadnezzar, but help me to love him. Do you know over time, Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar. He did, as he served him. But he had the testimony that he was constantly serving his God because he didn't just study the Word or read it or try to learn it to quote Scripture or anything like that. He actually wanted to do what it said. Oh, Leviticus says, don't eat this food. I'm not going to do it. Oh, King said, pray towards Jerusalem. I'm going to do it. It's not complicated, people. This is basic Christianity 101. And I love you all with all my heart, and I'm sorry if I'm sounding, I don't mean to be condescending, but guys, this is it. You open the word, you talk to God, and you try to do what it says. Period. That's Christianity. That's following Jesus. And again, we don't do it because it will earn something with us. We do it because it is faith. When I choose not to, when I know that God's word says do this, and I say I'm not going to do that, then what I'm really saying is I don't trust God. I think I'm smarter than God. God says I need to forgive that person. I don't feel like it. So I'm not going to forgive them, or I don't know how. Well, that's why there are things that I have to ask for help. Guys, again, I just want to ask you, for some of us, there's a part of your life right now where you know God's word is saying do it, and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe it's giving or serving or forgiving. And maybe there's a part of your word, the God's word where you know God's word says don't do it, but you're like, I'm enjoying that too much. I don't want to give that up. And God is saying you need to lay aside that thing in your life. Now, again, I don't know what God's saying to you, and I don't know the status of your relationship. I'm not reading your mail or anything like that. But this is, this is basic. This is the thing I love about Daniel. It wasn't that complicated. This is what Daniel did with a lifestyle. That's by the time he was 88 years old, he had so much faith. He'd spent a life talking to God. He'd spent a lifetime in his word. And he spent a lifetime trying to do what he found in God's word. And the end result, worship team, go ahead and come back up here, is that God used Daniel to influence others and exalted him in the kingdom. And my challenge this morning, you know, it's, it's hard. We, we talked this morning, the world is becoming, uh, in our life groups, we talked about spiritual warfare. And the world around us is not helping us follow Christ. Can I get an amen on that? The world around us is pulling us away. 
And if we do nothing, we're going to drift away. So we have to become intentional about these things. You know, it's like, gosh, I don't know. It's like uh, working out. If you want to work out every day, you're going to see the results of that. Amen? Amen. You know, but you're not going to see it after three days. Trust me. I've done three days of workouts and and it's still there. (laughs) Right? This is a lifestyle. And oh, by the way, if you messed up tomorrow, don't say, oh, I'm a loser. I'm just going to not read the Bible anymore because I can't do it. That makes a lot of sense. If you skip a meal, do you just say, I'm going to stop eating the rest of my life? No, you say, I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm going to eat, you know. Just make it the rhythm and the habit of your life. This is the most important thing. This is more important than coming to church, guys. If I had to choose between you doing these things every day or being here once a week, that's more important. Of course, what I'm not telling you is if you did that every day, you'll come. Because the word says, do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. We live in a culture today where, I know I'm getting a little long-winded, but it's, it's really on my heart where it just seems like people, we got this doctrine of grace and people are like, well, I can be a Christian. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to do this. And really what we're saying is I just want to live for me and go to heaven when I die. And we wonder why things are falling apart in our faith, in our world. Give your life completely to Jesus every day. Just spend a little bit of time talking to him, building a relationship with him, opening up his word, trying to do what it says. Dare to be a Daniel.